Hello, this is Leela Viss, and welcome to Key Ideas. Piano teaching doesn't come bundled with ready-made solution or recipes. This podcast highlights some brilliant options for innovative piano teachers just like you. Today, I share this Spotlight episode with Amy Chaplin. I first heard of Amy when good friend and teacher Marie Lee raved about Amy's session on marketing at the MTNA conference in San Antonio. Then I enjoyed lunch with Amy and friends at the MTNA conference in Baltimore. When I found her blog, Piano Pantry, I was immediately impressed with three things. Her keen organizational skills, her passion for curating favorite products and recipes, and her ability to rock a pixie cut. (laughs) I believe most would agree we could call Amy the Marie Kondo of the piano teaching world. Here's a little more about Amy. An avid learner, teacher, reader, organizational freak, and cooking enthusiast, Amy Chaplin combines all these passions on pianopantry.com. She runs an independent piano studio in Northeast Indiana, and she's immediate past president of the Indiana Music Teachers Association. Chaplin holds a master's in piano pedagogy and performance from Ball State University, a Bachelor of Music Education K-12 from Huntington University, and a certification in music learning theory and its applications for piano from the Gordon Institute for Music Learning. Her passion for helping teachers become more productive led her to become a member of the Evernote Community Leaders Program. She loves to talk about food and is obsessed with trying new recipes and even finds joy in organizing them. Here's Leela with Amy. Welcome, Amy, and thanks for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Let's just jump right in because we have many things to discuss. First off, the name of your site, Piano Pantry, fits you to a T. I'm so curious how and why you decided to combine the worlds of piano teaching and food. Please, fill us in. Well, I kind of feel like I have to go way back and tell everybody a little bit of my life story because that's kind of what brings us to Piano Pantry. So growing up, I came from a family that um, the women were cooks. My, both of my grandmothers were stay-at-home moms to lots of children. My mom's side had 10 kids, and she just cooked three meals a day. They lived on farms, and my dad's side, there were six kids, and she raised you know, them, and that's what they did. <laughs> um, my mom was a great cook as well, a country cook, she would always just call herself. So I wasn't afraid of the kitchen growing up. Um, when my husband and I got married, though, you know, like anybody, you kind of do what you know. And I cooked like my mom. I cooked a lot of, you know, casseroles and country meals. And pretty quickly, like everybody does when they first got married, we put on a few extra pounds. And um, I was like, this is just not going to do. <laughs> we have to change something. And so I was just like, how do I cook green beans besides making them a green bean casserole, you know? And so... We turned to um, America's Test Kitchen. We started watching that a lot on PBS and Chris Kimball back in the day. My husband even loved watching it on Saturday mornings. And then Ina Garten and Barefoot Contessa, mm-hmm. her show, She that woman taught me to cook, basically. <laughs> I mean, my mom did, of course. I learned a lot from her, but I felt like I really became uh, to understand food by watching Ina Garten cook. So I don't know if you know this, 
But um, after a few years of us being married, after I graduated, um, we actually eventually moved to Australia. And we lived there for almost three years and life was good. I mean, I was learning how to cook more. And when we came home from Australia, I was kind of at a fork in the road. Um, Was I going to go back to school again? Um, My first degree is actually in choral education. Um, And so I was a uh, choir teacher before we went to Australia. I should have said Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And when we came home, I was like, do I want to go back and get my master's degree or do I want to go to culinary school? So it's kind of like a big, important fork. What are you going to do with your life, you know? And it was, for me, it was kind of a God thing because when we returned home, it was during the economic fallout of 2008. And my husband had actually lost his job. This is a lot of a story in just a really quick nutshell, okay? (laughs) Um, And we ended up living with my parents. And I ended up um, going to Ball State where I had applied for school and found out that they had a pedagogy assistantship available. And so that was just kind of one of those moments where you feel like this was just laid in my lap. And so I didn't really have to decide too much. It was just like, okay, I'm going to go to pedagogy school. And so I did my master's degree in piano pedagogy. And, you know, I'm kind of glad that that's how it happened because I love food, but I also love teaching. And I just can't, I can't imagine actually having, being a chef, like for my full-time job. I just love it as a hobby. You know, I love cooking for people and my family. Um, So, yeah, so we returned from Australia, and we were living with my parents, and the good thing about that time was my mom actually did a lot of the cooking for us. I didn't have to think about it. I was focused on my studies, and when I finished my studies, then luckily my husband got a job. We moved out of the house. Life was fine, Um, and I opened my full-time piano studio. So after about six years of having my studio, I thought I just really would like to start a website. Like I really respected like Joy Morin was doing things and I had all these ideas and I knew that I really liked to cook too. And Joy and I had kind of become friends at that point and she encouraged me to do it and then started helping me brainstorm ideas. And I really wanted to leave the website open to what it could become because I just didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. I knew I wanted to do piano stuff, but maybe I would want to talk about food or maybe I would want to become a recipe website, you know? So we kind of want to just leave it open-ended. And so I actually was looking back before this podcast at some of our notes on some of the ideas for titles for fun. Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) And some of the things that we came up with were um, piano bites, grand bites, kitchen keys, notes and nosh. A pinch of piano, and oh. they were, it was really a lot of fun. But we ended up ultimately landing on Piano Pantry, um, which I really love. And you can, you know, play that however you like. Oh, you yeah. know, it's piano, like your your world of piano teaching and the pantry and the things that you, t- you know, take out of that for teaching or, you know, piano and cooking too, you know, so it has a good play on words. So, well, and also has one more play to interrupt just a minute because <laughs> you are the misorganization queen in my mind. <laughs> And I want to know your mind, but pantry right away sparks to me something in the kitchen that always needs organization. Yes. And I yeah. love a beautiful pantry. Yes. So I think it's just the perfect name for funny. your site and you. It's funny because I the organization side of it and the productivity part, I really had never considered that that would be a part of it, I guess. It just mm-hmm. kind of happened naturally, which I love because, you know, you wanted it to become what it just became in with who you were and it just kind of organically happened i think so th- the thing i like about what i'm doing with my site is food and organization is something that we all need a little help with <laughs> you know we're not just piano teachers and 
it's kind of like a little bit of a niche. I mean, there's nobody out there really doing anything like that. You know, I'm not just a piano site. It's maybe, I don't know, 75% piano, 20% organization business stuff, and maybe 5% food. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, the good thing about me, I'm not like another recipe website for you necessarily, but I just like enjoying ta- enjoy talking about food, throwing out like links to good recipes that I find. Um, and I have to say that if I give you a recipe link on my website, you know it's pretty good because I'm pretty picky. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I love trying just tons of recipes. That's just kind of how I find joy in cooking. Like I'm not one to necessarily create my own things and just cook on a whim. I literally just love trying recipes. Um, so yeah, so I'm really picky about that. But um, one way that I have incorporated the food into the site is through Friday Fries. Like I'll post links mm. a lot of times in that. You know, here's something to add to your menu for this week or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, I also started an Instagram account at, fo- uh, at food fun with Amy. Food oh, nice. dot fun okay. dot with dot Amy. <laughs> um, I just a little side creative project, you know, Mm -hmm. because I don't want, not everybody loves food. And so I didn't want to like overwhelm my social media accounts with all my food pictures. So yeah, if anybody's interested in that, they could check that out. Good. We'll make sure we get that in the show notes. (laughs) And I think this, well, I know this is why I wanted to talk to you because I know that is a pain point for many piano teachers because we teach right up to dinner time or through dinner time. And that it's tricky, especially with a family. And I happen to be spoiled and have a husband who is the cook in the house. Yeah. And so really I am inept in the kitchen. I used to be okay. And Mm -hmm. now I'm starting all over again because he has done it for so many years. So it was never a pain point for me, but I know it is for many teachers. And how do you get a a meal ready to go right after you've been teaching for four hours straight? I mean, that would be the last thing. I'd want to do, but it somehow it sounds like you either have it all figured out or that's your way to relax. So let's, let's find out what Amy does after a long well, day of teaching. Uh, it, it is tricky, you know, and one of the things I finally had to tell myself, um, was to kind of let it go because, you know, in the early days of being a teacher and having my full-time studio, I really had to mourn the fact that I couldn't just finished work at five o'clock and go upstairs and turn on my jazz music (laughs) and, you know, break open the refrigerator and cook dinner every night, you know, in this ideal world. And it just wasn't like that. And it actually took me a while to let go of that. And that was really hard for me because I just wanted to enjoy food in that way. Um, And, you know, I feel like I finally have figured out a routine that works well and that's manageable with, you know, with that teaching life. And for me, um, one thing that I have found helps really well that I think hopefully a lot of people would find useful is planning ahead, Um, not just your your meals per se, but um, literally like in the mornings, I use that time as my preparation time for what's going to happen later at night. Um, So I don't wait to the end of the day to prepare dinner. Like I literally will... Um, take all of my pans out that I'm going to be using for that meal that night. 
Like if I'm making, I don't know, chili or something, I will literally get the pot out and set it on the stove. I will get the spoon out that I'm going to, you know, mash up the hamburger with, or maybe even cook the hamburger that morning. So it's ready to go. I'll set all the cans out on the counter, the can opener, you know, I mean, wow. get everything out, get your onion out and knives and the cutting board. And it is sitting there. So as soon as I walk out of my studio, I mean, that kind of stuff is what takes a long time, a lot of times in preparing food. Um, it's just kind of gathering your ingredients and getting ready. So that is just one thing that I've been doing the last few years that has just made an incredible difference. And I find that I actually enjoy that now. So, you know, it's it's different than the enjoying it in the evening, you know, and turning on the music, but that's my morning. And mm -hmm. it feels good to to have that out of your mind kind of and know that, you know, I don't have to think about supper now because as soon as I'm done, it's ready to go. Um so, yeah. <laughs> there is something about the planning, just like organization, is when it's in its place, you don't worry and think about it anymore. Yes. So it sounds like you let that go by the end of the morning because it's all set. You don't have to yep. think about that anymore. So it's kind of yep. like lesson planning for the kitchen. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> so let's yep. go to your recipe choices then. You don't mm -hmm. have to give all your recipes, but like, is it meatless Mondays and taco Tuesdays or <laughs> what do you do? That's funny you ask that. So I, like I said at the beginning, I love to try different recipes. That's kind of where I get my joy. And my husband always laughs at me because you know, I always ask him, so what did you think of this recipe? Did you like mm -hmm. that? And if he's like, yeah, I did. I used to be like, well, I don't like it because that means I have to make it again. <laughs> <laughs> I actually liked it when he was like, oh, it's okay. And then I'm like, okay, I can try something else. <laughs> oh, oh, fine. Oh, okay. Kind of crazy. I know yeah. I'm, I'm weird. <laughs> it's not quite so much like that anymore. But um, so I, I have never been quite like that because like I said, I like to try different things all the time. Um, but... I have tried to get like that a little bit more, um, having a few like staple meals that, you know, are easy to go to, um, like Mondays, for example, is my latest teaching day. So this year I've tried to make that okay. In my mind, Mondays, we eat a good lunch and then we either just have leftovers for supper or just like a, a little light salad or something. So that way you don't have the stress of, you know, doing a meal when you finish teaching at eight o'clock. Mm -hmm. Um, Tuesdays, I am done by 6.30. So that's my night that I feel like I can actually make a meal because I have a little bit more time. Um, I do think that things like Taco Tuesdays are really great. Um, for me, like I don't do the specific type of food always mm -hmm. like that. But I think, you know, for a lot of teachers and just a lot of people in general, that that is a super useful way to help relieve that stress, especially if you're, you know, cooking for a family with kids that are picky and you have kind of your core staples, that's okay. <laughs> you know, like just remove that stress and, you know, do the meals that you know that your family are going to enjoy. So I'm thinking about your pantry and I'm wondering, do you streamline ingredients? So, you know, you're going to make something at the beginning of the week. Do you plan to use it again? throughout the week? Are you that sometimes, kind of a planner? Okay. Yeah, sometimes. Like if I have something in my freezer, like the other day I pulled out, um, for example, some ham slices. I had bought like a big chunk of ham, you know, a couple months ago and I sliced it up and packaged it in multiple packages. And I pulled out, you know, one package has like three slices and it. it's just my husband and I, so we don't need too much at one time. But like maybe I would um, dice up part of it for salads for later in the week. And then maybe we would pan fry, you know, one of the slices with some eggs or something for a lunch or, 
Um, yeah, something like that. So I do a lot of times try to like have an ingredient that I'm trying to use up and then use it in, you know, multiple things um, throughout the week. So any tips that you can give to teachers or anything that you've learned or that you've learned from others along the way to help people manage their time when they're cooking and planning for their dinners? Um, Well, kind of like we were saying before, like, first of all, just like take inventory of your family and your schedule know what like works for you guys um have a good kind of plan for your recipes and your database like if you're a recipe kind of person like keep those organized in some way like i like to use paprika i don't know if you've ever heard of it no it's a recipe website and they have like a desktop version you can actually literally download recipes directly into that program like that app off of the web. So like I would be on a website and I find a great recipe and I just up in my toolbar, I just hit send to paprika. And then it literally just sends that recipe into that recipe manager. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been using that particular one for like a year and it is amazing. So um, yeah, That's keep handy. it organized somehow. Yeah. Have some kind of a tool to help you be organized. And it, um, it used to be a little box. You know, for a little, a little, bo- recipe, oh, yeah, a little a recipe, recipe box. box. Oh, and yeah, we don't I had have that when those. We were first married. Yep. And I think yep. that's the problem is when everything is virtual, finding mm-hmm. where to put something is really hard. So paprika. Mm, paprika. Yeah. Okay. I used to use one called pepper plate, um, but it's not quite as high tech. They're doing better now, but I made the jump to paprika and highly recommend it. Okay. So, yeah. So now that we've moved from food and then we started talking about organization, Let's go there next because what's interesting I notice about myself is that I don't like things on my counter, my kitchen counter. I like it Mm -hmm. nice and clean. Me too. (laughs) I am the queen of cleaning that thing over and over again. (laughs) But my desktop can be a mess (laughs) and I look at it and just dread having to organize it. Yeah. The good thing is I know where most everything has to go. I do have a place for it and I think that's the most important thing. But I'm kind of amazed at myself that my desktop is such a mess sometimes. Yeah. Do you ever feel that way? Am I the only one? Okay. Yes. No, I absolutely have. It's funny because I felt the same way in the past. Like I'm supposed to be this organized person, but look at my desk. It's a mess. <laughs> and look at all these post-its. Who does post-its uh-huh. when you're me? You're supposed to keep it all in Evernote, you know? <laughs> so yes, I have. Um, there's been times at my old, old studio, I would say in particularly, where I would just have pile after pile after pile. And I'm like, what is going on with me? Like, And then at the end of the semester though, and I think this is important, I would just finally, it would just hit the tipping point where like this I just can't deal with this anymore. Like I'm not functioning as a person to my highest until I get rid of these piles because those piles are like weighing on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like an email inbox weighs on me if it has more than like 20 emails in it, you know? Um, and so, you know, at the end of the semester to me is always a good time. Like every semester I'm like, okay, here's like a couple of hours of just studio cleanup, you know, get rid of the piles, action it, do something with it, throw it away, like put it in its place but don't just leave it sit in a pile. Because if it's in a pile, like what use is that to you? I mean, you're probably forgetting what's even in that pile. Exactly. Well, and I'm I'm actually thinking more about my desktop on my laptop 
that oh that's, like your, that's your literal like digital yes. desktop is that my what you mean digital desktop i thought you I meant you're like okay i can because i have so much stuff in my studio i have to put it back because otherwise yeah. it gets really cluttered yes. and i don't have a big desk so that yeah. is an advantage to yeah. keeping a desktop clean is not having that's funny a big one. yes <laughs> that misunderstanding <laughs> no but I, oh, and so i valid. totally agree with that too it is and yeah. on that on that note have you seen home edit on netflix have you happened to watch that i now? have not seen that one but someone did mm. tell me recently about that that i would so like it so i'll have to it, check it out it got me on a kick i re i, I reorganized my pantry and all my spices i i went kind of nuts but i also heard them talk about the process of organization and the first one is editing hmm, and so it sounds like you edit your studio a number edit of times. In, yes. Edit meaning decide where you're going to put it. Yes. Uh, and they use, I need it. I love it. Yes. I use it. Yeah. And if it yeah. doesn't follow one of those three, then you get rid of it. Yeah. And but, I try to do that frequently um, in, in my studio and in my house. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm just constantly, you know, rethinking, am I using this? Is this, how does this, you know, function in my space? Um, and I learned that actually as a child, I feel like growing up with my mom, it was, she was always the type I've not touched this in two years. It's gone, you know, like mm -hmm. clothing or just anything. Like if you're not using it, then get rid of it. And it's just clutter <laughs> in your life. Um, and I think the, the trick is then the next thing is where you're going to put it. Yes. And that is what I think you're very good at. It sounds like you know where you want to put things. Yes. So let's go there next. Let's okay. say that Amy is organizing her studio. She's, <laughs> she's got a stash and it needs to go somewhere. How do you organize your sheet music, for instance? Okay. So um, like print sheet music specifically, I have large filing cabinets that I inherited from my husband's family. So they're super old and rusty, but they still work. <laughs> um, it's literally just a drawer type of filing cabinet, you know, and I have like one drawer for church music and I label the drawer. So church music. And I then file that by like either the composer's name or by the level. Um, one drawer for um, jazz composition theory type pieces, one entire drawer for original composers, like modern composers, you know, mm -hmm. um, one drawer for methods, one drawer for classical repertoire series, you know, um, and I've been doing that for pretty much since the beginning and it works super well. I mean, I feel like I like being able to see like the spines of the music. I like that they're closed. I don't see books everywhere, mm -hmm. you know, lining my walls. Um, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, but yet it could still be organized because they're all labeled in in like the hanging files, you know, mm -hmm. by composer or level or whatever. So it really helps to be able to see, have in inventory, I guess, of what you, of what you have. So. And that's part and of then, the strategy of dividing things up and what, yes. what categories are you going to make? So that's always interesting yes. to hear what yeah. teachers So you start with the use. big categories, mm -hmm. you know, um, I do big categories with everything in life, like my email inbox and, you know, Evernote and just every, how I organize my digital, um, file explorer, you know, it's personal things and then it's professional things and then it's piano pantry and then it's studio, you know, so you kind of start with those big categories and then from there kind of file down into smaller segments. So that has always worked for me in lots of areas of my life. So, hmm, good yeah. tip. And I think the, what I'm learning is that, that more, the more folders, the better, meaning in my Google drive and in my Dropbox or whatever, having folders and labeling them 
And yeah. it just helps you find things a little bit faster. I think so too. Like with digital sheet music, you know, I have a sheet mu- one sheet music folder. And then inside mm-hmm. of that folder, I have a folder for like all the composers. I mean, like you have your own folder, Leela. Oh. <laughs> your music, you. hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, who else? Um, Samantha Coates, her Blitz books, and yeah. Chris Owensby, and Joy Morin, and just all these different people, Piano Pronto, you know. And then from there, then you file into like, maybe it's if it's a book series of theirs, you know, different mm-hmm. levels. So yeah, the more folders, the better. better. And let's talk a little bit about how much time that takes you. And are you just really good at doing it right away? Or do you, like me, let it set on my desktop and get really messy? And then I finally, okay, I can't stand this. I have to put it away. I've done both. I mean, like there gets a point, like sometimes you feel like you're being organized and you just kind of keep going with it, going with it, going with it. And then all of a sudden, boom, you realize, okay, this isn't working. I need to rethink this, you know? And I think that we have to do that Frequently, we have to revisit and rethink, okay, is this working for me? Mm -hmm. And can I just tweak it just a little bit to make it function a little bit better? So, and that has just always been how I work with a lot of things and just always trying to think of, okay, what's just one little way I can make this work better or or be more functional or be more organized? (laughs) And I agree. I tend to reorganize what I've already organized. And sometimes I just don't know what to do with things. So then I just put them in a bin, meaning a folder. Yeah, I've done that. Think yep. about this for a while. I don't know mm-hmm. yet. Yeah, sometimes you just don't know. And mm-hmm. sometimes you don't know until you just try to put it somewhere. And then is that working or is it not working? So, yeah. Now, I know you have plenty of blogs about Evernote. I know you are the Evernote ambassador. <laughs> is that what you're called? Or one of Well, the- it's just a community leader, which uh-huh. basically means that you get like little heads up on things and um, you get an affiliate link and that's about all there is to it. <laughs> so okay. yeah, and you just had to pass a little test that you knew enough about Evernote that you can talk about it intelligently. <laughs> and I, I used it for a little bit. I'm not using it right now. I'm sorry, yeah. but I, it's fun. fascinating and I can see why someone like you loves it. Can you mm-hmm. tell us the benefits that you found with Evernote? Yeah. So for me, it's because it's like one big database for every kind of file that you could possibly want to use. Um, it's, it holds like the most, it's the one program that I found that holds every type of program out there. Like you can save a Microsoft Word document, you can save a PDF, you can save a MP3 file, you can, um, you can link to a, a Google Drive mm, file or okay. folder or, or thing. Um, you can, you can clip links to bookmarks from the web. You can, take screenshots off of the web. You can take articles and have them like literally cleaned up. So say there's an article that you read that's really useful that you want to use someday. Like instead of it clipping like the whole web page or taking a snapshot of it, it will literally get rid of all the mess and it'll just clip a simple article for you. Mm. Um, So, and then like, if it's like putting your whole life in one filing cabinet and then you can literally just search with one word and it, it will search all these notes and I don't know, to me, it's just a really easy way to easily retrieve things and yet keep lots of types of things in one space. So for instance, you where are you storing all of your sheet music right now? Is that in Evernote as well? Like digital sheet music? Yes, yes. Okay, so here's the thing with Evernote though. So I don't want to confuse the fact that in Evernote, yes, you can link to like a Microsoft Word document and you can save a PDF, but it's not really meant to replace a file explorer like, document manager kind of a thing. It's just useful that you can save those there. So 
um, I know I did a presentation once and afterwards I had somebody ask kind of the same thing, like, oh, mm -hmm. I'm going to move all my stuff out of mm -hmm. File Explorer. I'm like, no, mm -hmm. don't do that. <laughs> you misunderstood me. <laughs> um, so yeah, so like my digital sheet music, it's all in, I use OneDrive right now, but I actually use all of them. I have a little bit of OneDrive. I have Google Drive. I have, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, what, what's the other one? Oh, iCloud Drive. Dropbox. So, yeah, all that stuff. So mm -hmm. I've actually got away from Dropbox just because it, I never had enough space and I didn't want to pay 10 bucks a month for a terabyte, which you can get much cheaper space everywhere else. So, but I, Dropbox I have, is still great. You need well, that I, space. <laughs> correct. I, I have a free Dropbox account and I have uh, a Google Drive. I pay $20 a year for, for that. And that's plenty it's of space. It's still so cheap. It's so it cheap. Is. It yeah. is. And, you know, people are afraid to pay. I remember someone teasing me like, you're going to not pay $20 for a year to have some extra storage. Like, yeah, you're right. Okay. It's yeah, worth it. Yeah, exactly. Nowadays, it used to seem strange to pay for all those things, but now it's like nothing. So I know. Yeah. And so, okay, you use OneDrive and mm -hmm. Google Drive. Mm -hmm. to, so it sounds like Evernote is a landing place for a lot of things. Yeah, Evernote is more of like a place to 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 snip ideas, kind of, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, not so much like all your documents and Microsoft Word, you know, stuff like that but it's like um keeping a note on like all my students and their repertoire like a repertoire list for my students where i can clip you know oh i want to purchase this book and i'll just quickly snip it to evernote and then tag it under order and then when it's time to order books i can just look at everything that needs ordered um so it's kind of like a way of just throwing a whole bunch of stuff in there <laughs> for mm -hmm. storage bookmarks you know to articles like mm -hmm. we used to just do the thing you know 15 years ago, I remember like having all these articles open, like 20 articles I wanted to read, you know, and I would bookmark them, but I would never go back to them. And there was never a good way to like search them, you know, but with mm -hmm. Evernote, you can clip those articles and then easily, you know, search and find all the articles that you've saved over the last five years that are about lesson planning. I mean, you can just find that kind of information. Um, so, so, but like back to OneDrive, um, so I use OneDrive for all my documents, mostly because I got it free because I pay for the Office 365 subscription where you get like all the updates to Microsoft Word and Excel and all of that. Um, so I get like 50 gigs free with that. So that's what I use most of my stuff on. I use Google Drive for a few things, like when I'm sharing documents, like with all of them you can share with people, but Google Drive just works so smoothly with mm -hmm. that. Like I use it for that. Um, yeah. So I know you do also, let's switch gears just a little bit, mm -hmm. but I know you also have off bench time or a lab time with your students and you offer some really neat products for that as well. And how is that going for you? Because well, you always had an off bench, first of all. And then- um, Yes. Okay. You always did too. Okay. Because yes, I have yeah. two. I have never had to not have that in my life. Yes. And I think that there is an advantage to teaching with that component right away. I think so. Um, the reason that I started with a music lab from day one was, well, when I, I started my studio, what, 10 years ago, like that was the thing, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just remember not that labs weren't a thing before that. Um, but when I, you know, started teaching more full time, I just remember that being pushed a lot, like in it back then, of course, it was about doing it to be valid <laughs> mm. a little bit in, you know, students, world and how technology was a big part of their life and you know and trying to for piano teachers were trying to like be in the times a little bit mm -hmm. and like incorporate technology and i know that's you know you were starting back then to do lots of things too um i feel like and so i started like the 30 minute labs they would have like 30 minute lesson 30 minute lab kind of a thing 
And I've been doing that. I'm in my 10th year now of teaching. (laughs) Um, And that has always worked really well. I think the cool thing nowadays, though, is that the labs are great as like they're supplemental, but I think we all have learned enough now that we don't need that necessarily to capture our kids (laughs) or to make them interested in piano anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. it's more just about supplementing and, um, yeah, I mean, they enjoy it, but it's not like the iPads aren't like super new to kids anymore either, you know? So it's just that balance. I, I remember giving a session about that because people were arguing over the fact that, okay, you need to teach with an iPad to be relevant. Yeah. And I kept saying, no, 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 it's not mm-hmm. relevant. It's you're yeah. building a relationship. And if yeah. there's a, if there's a tool out there that can help you mm-hmm. build a relationship, offer some new way of coming to a concept or reviewing a concept that that's why I chose to use it. It's reinforcing those concepts and just giving them another tool to continually like, you know, you can't just learn something by learning it once or talking about it one time. You have to do it in multiple avenues and, Mm -hmm. um, to make it stick. And yeah, that's what, that's what music lab time is for. So it is. I've, uh, right now my students are reviewing the 20th century by listening to podcasts and, you know, I would think that they would know Scott Joplin and George Gershwin and Aaron Copeland. And of course, none of them know anything about that. And they now want to play Scott Joplin's music. They like ragtime. And I know I wouldn't be able to do that with my students if I maybe said, hey, listen to this podcast and tell me what you think. And and they do it at home. So there is something about when we lock them in and we have them, we have control over what they're going to (laughs) do. So what are some favorite activities that you found with your students? Um, So one thing that I have used a lot, um, and this is this is just kind of, again, a supplemental thing is um, I put together a series, like I found all these great videos online of, of like music theory concepts, really fun videos. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, these are just all over the place, you know? And so I finally compiled them into one list, like in an order and um, students love them. They're kind of just, some of them are just silly and um, yeah, there's just a whole variety and I've leveled those. And um, so I use those. They're just a great, like, way to supplement again and to help them learn concepts. Um, well, it's I a flip, to, yes, I've seen that yeah, it's list. A flip learning I, kind of yes, a thing. I have yeah. seen that list and I think it's a great list. And thank you for mentioning that. And yes, it is a flipped classroom approach. And mm-hmm. it's really nice because regardless of if you see the student first um, and then they go off bench or if they're off bench and then you see them, mm-hmm. it doesn't make a difference anymore. Pedagogically, yeah. we used to think, no, 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 I have to introduce everything yeah. right away. I'm like, no, let them, well, let and the thing I like movie. about this particular like theory video series, uh, again, I, I didn't do all these videos. They're just mm-hmm. videos that I've, I've kind of taken from everybody everywhere and yeah. put them into one place um, is that, you know, if you are online, it's a great way to, it's a great thing you can send them to do, um, especially if you use like Tanara, you know, where you can link literally right in the assignment to the YouTube video. So that works super well. Yeah, um, and- of course, my students love like Note Rush <laughs> is a favorite. Mm-hmm. And of course, Note Rush again. If you don't know, you can actually link from Note Rush or from Tanara into Note Rush. Um, so, like you can you can choose what notes your students should be quizzed on, and then set up a specific link from Note Rush into Tanara. And then when they open that link, it will only quiz them on the notes that you have selected. I think that's amazing. <laughs> that is. So let's go there a minute because Tanara is something that students access on their smart device. So mm-hmm. they do have to have the Note Rush app 
Yes, they do. Installed. That's the only thing. They have mm -hmm. to purchase it. Okay. It's only $5 though. So I just mm -hmm. try to write a, you know, email to, to parents and say, you know, I'm not going to force you to do this, but students love it. And this would be a great tool for them to do from home. Um, and most, most parents are, have no problem with buying a $5 app. So yeah. <laughs> we can always frame it as it's a little bit, maybe a little bit more than a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Right. There you mm -hmm. go. <laughs> we don't have a Starbucks in our town, but we'll oh, say it. Okay. Yes, there our we go. Our little town yes. has a, our own little <laughs> awesome little gourmet, coffee shop. Yes. <laughs> a gourmet coffee. Well, now on that note, then we've talked about food. We've talked about organization. We've talked about lab time or off bench time. Is there any other bits of wisdom you can leave us with? My main thing I would say to people is, um, first of all, always give yourself grace in things, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like no matter what you're going through, life kind of throws you different curveballs, mm -hmm. And, you know, we always just do our best with what we know and with what we have. And yeah, like just give yourself grace and do your best. And yeah. I think one of your, the big takeaways is allowing yourself to make categories and big broad categories for mm -hmm. organizations start there first and yeah. if you throw everything that you yeah. get offline say that with recipes you could say like start with your big categories of like crock pot recipes okay when i know it's monday mm -hmm. night and i have to make a crock pot meal here's my five favorite recipes i can pull from right you know so yeah just starting big and then narrowing and then it down going, narrowing down from there so, mm -hmm. so if things don't seem so overwhelming yeah so let's go on to the spark questions because I'm a little nosy and I like to know things. So Amy is apparently prepared to answer these questions. <laughs> I'm so, so glad you asked me ahead of time. So. Oh, good. I know because it's <laughs> hard to, to think. About it. it is. Yeah. <laughs> so we're curious, what is your favorite movie soundtrack? Okay. So I feel a little bit embarrassed to say this because I don't listen to a lot of movie soundtracks. Actually, I was like, oh my gosh, that's a hard one. I actually had to go search my Spotify account. I'm like, what movie soundtracks do I even listen to? So I came up with The Greatest Showman, which I think mm. the, the uh, music from that is just spectacular. And don't laugh, Top Gun, 1980s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm an 80s girl. I love the Top Gun music. Um, but actually, when you when you first when I first read that question, the one that did come to mind before I had to search Spotify was um, the Titanic. Oh yeah, <laughs> did I say that quietly? <laughs> Titanic. The hey, only reason I say that is because um, I have kind of this nostalgic connection to it. I mean, not that it's the most spectacular soundtrack ever or anything, but. I don't know, like when we used to travel a lot in airplanes, like I, I started listening to that when we were sleeping and I tied mm -hmm. that with relaxing and going to sleep on an airplane. And I don't know, every time we travel now, I pull out my Titanic soundtrack mm -hmm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> or something about it that puts me to sleep. <laughs> I think it's actually an important question because that is where our students are, are listening to music more mm -hmm. than anywhere else. And it's the new classical music in some ways. So yeah. the more we're in tune with what's going on in the movies, uh, the True. better yeah. versed we will be. Uh, yes. When and I'm always asking my students to tell me things. I'm like, yeah. inform me. Exactly. <laughs> Please tell me what you like. Right. right. <laughs> I want to know and you need to help me. <laughs> well, that brought me back. I, I would agree with all of those, by the way. So now what is one book you couldn't teach without? So I'm going to have to cheat and go with two because I just okay. couldn't choose between the two of them. <laughs> the first one is Intelligent Music Teaching by Bob Duke. Mm -hmm. I feel like every educator should read that book or every mm -hmm. music educator, no matter what you teach. 
And I've only read it once, but it's definitely on my list to read again because mm -hmm. it's just so crazy, amazing information packed. If you've not read it, like that should move to the top of your list immediately. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the second one is The Ways Children Learn Music by Eric Bluestein, which is the first book that I was ever introduced to music learning theory to. So, and even if you're not like, a music learning theory person. Again, every educator can benefit from just mm -hmm. learning how to approach music um, and teaching children by this book. So it's a great introductory book to music teaching in general. So I think we're going to have to have you back so that we can just talk about music learning theory. So <laughs> it's an interesting topic. <laughs> uh -huh. I would love. Have you to. read that book yet? No, the, the I way. don't think I've. No, I've. I've got another one on music learning theory, but I have not read yeah. that one. So well, this I'll is a very, this is list. the one that many people recommend. You know, if you have any kind of interest to learn something about it, read mm -hmm. this one because it's okay. one of the easiest to understand <laughs> as a first step into it. So he has lots of big terms. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> All right. And probably the hardest question, what is a fail that turned into a win for you? Yeah, this was super hard. I was like, oh my gosh. So I was like, okay, mm, first of all, I looked up in Evernote, three quotes on failure. I thought I would share oh, those just for fun. Okay, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> first one is, there's no such thing as failure, only feedback. Mm -hmm. That's anonymous. I don't know who said that one. And then another one is, take chances. Mistakes are never a failure. They can be turned into wisdom. Mm, and that was mm -hmm. from Kat Cora, who was a chef. I think she was on Iron Chef. Oh, then okay, my third yes. favorite one about failure is many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success. Mm. That's by Thomas Edison. So nice. those were all inspirational quotes. Um, so the main thing I could come up with was my first career, <laughs> um, which I briefly mentioned at the beginning. My first degree is a bachelor of music education K through 12. So my first job out of school was a choir teacher for middle school, high school students. And it wasn't just a choir teacher, it was a show choir teacher, because in Indiana, that's just what you do okay. <laughs> most of the time. Um, so it's one of those things like I grew up in choir in school. And so to me, that's just, that was a natural thing for me to do. Now, my piano teacher in high school was trying so hard to get me to go to her school. Uh, she was teaching at Taylor University at the time. They had a minor in piano pedagogy for um for an undergrad. And she just tried so hard. And I was like, no, I'm just not interested. <laughs> you know, so I went into choral teaching and it was fine, but it wasn't what I was meant to do three years. And I was just like, yeah. Um, but if, if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have known, mm -hmm. you know, that that wasn't what I was supposed to do. And, you know, maybe I would have found my way to piano teaching. I don't know, you know, but um, I feel like more than anything, I learned a lot about myself as a person in that first career and what kind of person I was, what kind of teacher I wanted to be. Um, I learned like I really enjoyed teaching more one-on-one -on -one or very small groups rather than being in front of mm -hmm. like 30 high school kids. <laughs> totally intimidating. <laughs> it takes a special person, I it must does. say. It does. And middle mm -hmm. school kids, bless their hearts, love them all. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I really like them more than one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I went to my undergrad as a choral education person, but like my main instrument was piano, <laughs> which I think, why did they let me do that? It was calling for you. And to me, that was kind of like my, I look back and go, that was a first clue to me that piano was where I was supposed to be, but I wasn't listening to my piano teacher at the time, but she's very happy now, Kathy Grile, right. <laughs> I'll say her name, that I am now uh, a piano teacher. So it ended up working out, but sometimes you just don't know things until you fail or until you experience it or till you do it. And then that 
eventually turns into a success and you learn a lot about yourself along the way. I agree. And that's why I asked the question. It's not because we want to point out our failures, but I, we all fail. So yeah. then it's fun to look back and see, oh, okay. Yeah, maybe now I, I get it. <laughs> maybe I wasn't the best choral teacher, you know? <laughs> I did well, my best though. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you did. And I'm sure you made an, an impact in those children's lives, but it sounds like you found your place, you found yeah. your niche. And we're so glad that you're sharing your knowledge and your organization and your recipes. And uh, we hope to see more and more coming from Piano Pantry and Amy Chaplin. So thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, it's been great fun. All right, take care. Yep, see you, Leela. Bye. Bye. I'm so glad that Amy joined me for this episode because she stretches us to think beyond the piano bench. Amy gave us a sneak peek at how she manages both of her passions and makes space for her cooking amidst a busy career. She also let us feel off the hook. She's not always organized. She has big bins of stuff and whittles them down into smaller bins. She even admitted to having a messy desktop. So my questions for you before I sign off. First, what's for dinner? I'm hungry. And then next, what can you organize this week? Choose a corner of a room, maybe the corner of your desktop, or maybe even a closet. Whatever it is, keep the task within reason, get it done, and then pat yourself on the back. Head to leelavis.com slash key ideas for the show notes, where you'll find Amy's terrific quotes, along with links to products and sites we mentioned in the episode. Here's one more quote before I sign off. If more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. J.R.R. Tolkien Until next time, see you in the trenches.